And we're going to be continuing this morning in the book of James in the New Testament. We're in chapter 3. We were in chapter 3 last week, but we're in the latter half of uh, chapter 3 this week. So if you have a Bible, you can turn there to James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. And we'll go through verse 18. It's also printed in your bulletin. You can take a look there. One of the questions I love asking uh, little kids, young people especially, is uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's a fun question. A lot of times kids sort of latch on to one occupation and they just, they stick with that one. Could be an astronaut or, you know, something like that. Firefighters get a, a, I don't know, that's a really popular answer for some reason. Firefighters must have a great campaign going with kids to make kids want them, you know, to become firefighters. But astronauts too. And I don't know where the astronauts are, you know, finding the time to talk to kids about that. But uh, but what if you asked a kid that question and their answer, instead of saying an occupation, their answer was, when I grow up, I'd like to be wise. Uh, what would it look like for that kid to grow up and be wise? Or asked another way, how could we know when they grow up whether or not they became what they wanted to be, whether or not they became wise? Uh, we're going to look at this, uh, in this passage at a description of wisdom and really two kinds of wisdom one good kind and one not so good kind, uh, that could serve, in a sense, as an answer to that question or a grid through which we could answer that question. For a kid who wants to grow up and be wise, we could use this passage to evaluate whether or not uh, they did, in fact, grow up to become wise. So with that in mind, let's look at James chapter 3, starting in verse 13. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do need you all the time. Uh, every hour, like we just sang, we especially feel that need as we come to your word. Lord, would you show us what you're like and show us what we're like and show us your love through Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. Uh, do you believe in love at first sight? I'm not sure if I do. I think I'd like to. Uh, but so that I don't sound like a totally hopeless romantic, I'll ask the question slightly differently. Do you believe in love at first interaction? Uh, if you're single, do you believe that if, uh, if you could interact with someone for just a few minutes that you could sort of decide or at least conjure up the feeling within you or have the feeling within you during that one interaction that uh, you really want that person who you're talking to, that you'd like to be in a relationship with that person? Um, a, lot of, uh, a lot of single people I know uh, may walk around, whether mentally or uh, on paper, a list of qualities that they want in the person uh, that they will date and marry. And, uh, you know, we put all kinds of things on that list. Things like, I wanna, I wanna marry someone who's compassionate, or I wanna marry someone who's funny, or maybe who has a certain kind of background 
uh, or comes from a certain kind of family or has a certain kind of occupation or, or things like that. Um, the interesting thing about having a list like that, though, is that even, though, even if you have a long list of things that you're looking for uh, in a spouse, that list will not allow you to draw a picture of the person that you will marry, at least not with any detail. Uh, I mean, you couldn't necessarily say what their hair color will be like or exactly what their personality will be or what kind of clothes they'll be wearing when you meet them or where you'll be when you meet them or what your first few dates will be like. Uh, All those things are left unknown, but uh, you may have this very firm list of things. Hey, here's what I'm looking for in a spouse. But when you do meet that person, if you believe in love at first sight, you may have this sensation within you uh, that feels something like, okay, I couldn't have drawn you up in any particular sense. I couldn't have said just what your face would look like. I couldn't have even said exactly what it will feel like to be around you. But now seeing your face and now spending time with you, I really want you. I really want to be with you. And it actually feels like this desire uh, for you has been within me for a long time. It feels like you're meeting a desire that's been within me for my whole life. And now here you are in front of me, even though I couldn't draw you up. Uh, The picture that James is painting of wisdom is something like that. I think that if we're honest, the description of wisdom and really a wise person that James is putting before us is the kind of person that if we met them, we would think to ourselves, okay, I want you. I want more of you in my life. Uh, And maybe we could even think uh, to ourselves looking at this description or imagining a person who is like this, we may think to ourselves, okay, I'd like to be like that person. I'd like to be like this description uh, of wisdom. Now, wisdom, as James uh, talks about it, is less knowledge uh, and more action. When I think about a person who's wise, I think what comes to mind is a person who has really great answers to really difficult questions. Uh, Or maybe a person who gives really good advice in challenging situations. Uh, But that picture of wisdom really lives and dies in the mind. But what James is talking about is broader than that. Uh, It really plays itself out in in actions. Look at verse 13. He says, Who's wise and understanding? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. Wisdom is, it's external, it's it's visible, it's something that, that you can see. And James is putting two pictures of wisdom, two caricatures of wisdom in front of us. So we're going to uh, consider those two caricatures. So the first one is earthly wisdom, this picture of earthly wisdom. And the second one is wisdom from above. Wisdom from above. So let's start with earthly wisdom. And we really want to ask ourselves this question as we uh, think about these two kinds of wisdom. Okay, how can I tell the difference between the two kinds of wisdom? Or if I met a person, how could I tell whether they are the earthly kind of wisdom? or the heavenly kind of wisdom, the wisdom from above. And I'm leaving the word wisdom in there as we think about earthly wisdom because I think James sort of hints that, hey, there's this wisdom that comes from above and then the earthly version of that, the bad version of that, is really similar. It's so similar that we could still call it wisdom. Uh, The difference is subtle, maybe at face value, uh, but the effects, especially over the long term, are massive. The difference over time is huge. All right, so earthly wisdom. How do we know earthly wisdom? Look at verse 14. It says, If you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, 
demonic. So the first thing to note is that earthly wisdom is earthly. Uh, So if the question is, where does earthly wisdom come from? It comes from here. And to be a little bit more specific, earthly wisdom comes from you and me. It comes from within. That word unspiritual really means something like selfie. Like it's from the self. That's where it originates. Uh, So earthly wisdom starts right here. And the thing about earthly wisdom is uh, because it's earthly, it's all over our world. It's everywhere. Uh, And earthly wisdom is normal. That may be one of the ways that you and I can tell if we hear something, whether or not it's earthly wisdom, if it sounds really normal. In fact, if it sounds like something that's easy to agree to or even easy to put into practice, uh, then it's probably earthly wisdom. One of the things that I was not prepared for uh, when I was engaged to be married was the amount of unsolicited marriage advice that I would be given. It seemed like every person who heard that I was engaged had some nugget of what they would call wisdom that they really wanted to put on a plate in front of me and see if I would eat it. Uh, I mean, we would be like in Macy's registering uh, for you know, gifts for our wedding and people would see us with that little gun that you get to you know, shoot TVs and plates and argue about that stuff. And they'd see us you know, uh, doing that deal and they could obviously tell we're, we're about to get married so they would sort of hurry up to us and say, are you guys engaged? You are gonna get married? And we'd say, well, yeah, that's, you know, that's what we're doing here. Uh, and uh, without being asked, but it was as though we asked, they would give us some uh, form of marriage advice. If I could take the bits of unsolicited marriage advice that I got, or unsolicited marriage wisdom that I got during the season of my engagement to Allison, here's how I would sum up the advice that we got. Really two things. Number one, I'm sorry that you're getting married. Uh, some form of, oh, wow, you know, uh, especially from, like, older men. Oh, turn and run, man. I mean, that's, like, I hope you're having a lot of fun during this season because it's all, you know, going to change now. I'm really, I'm really sorry that you're getting married. That's just too bad, you know. Uh, and the second bit would be, uh, here's how you can stay happy despite getting married. Again, Wisdom. Now, what's strange is as a uh, 22-year-old kid, hearing an older man or woman say something about marriage that's like that, uh, it really didn't sound that shocking to me at the time. I mean, even as I evaluated sort of the marriages that I knew, it's like, okay, you're telling me this piece of advice because you say, in all likelihood, this marriage will make you unhappy. So here's my advice, here's my wisdom for you to keep you from being as unhappy as you likely will be in your marriage. And as a 22-year-old, it sort of felt like, golly, I mean, you're maybe 20, 30 years down the road from me. Maybe you do know better. Maybe I should, like, get extra hobbies and stay away from home more. (laughs) Um, Earthly wisdom, James says, starts with jealousy and selfish ambition. He uses those two words twice, jealousy and selfish ambition, or that phrase, in verses 14 and in verse 16. So he starts with it, you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, and then he goes back to it. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, he says there will be disorder in every vile practice. Earthly wisdom doesn't just come from you and I. Earthly wisdom starts with you and I in mind. That's where it begins, is with the desire for me to get what I want. That's one of the ways we can know earthly wisdom, is if that's where it starts. When I was in college, uh, one of the things that I loved to do was to sort of tuck into conversations with other college students that I wanted to be a pastor. Um, you know, the sort of typical uh, college, maybe junior 
conversation goes something like, hey, where are you from? Atlanta. Hey, what are you studying? And then this is where I would take my shot. I'd say, well, I'm studying communications, but even though you didn't ask, let me tell you about my plans after undergrad. I'd like to go to seminary, and I want to be a pastor. And one of the reasons I said that to people was because uh, I wanted for them to respect me and maybe uh, for them to take an opportunity when they were maybe in a time of need or had some theological question, I wanted them to bring it to me. I wanted them to know that they had an all-wise fellow student who they could come to and ask questions to. It didn't work, oddly enough. Uh, I, I, sincerely, I was not getting a lot of people coming up to me saying, hey, you're the guy who uh, wants to go to seminary one day, right? Let me ask you my Bible questions. It just didn't happen. Uh, and I, I mean, this is embarrassing to say, I actually articulated this question to one of my closest friends in college. I actually said to him at a Chipotle, hey, why aren't more people asking me for advice? I mean, it just reeks with selfishness, right? I, he probably should have slapped me in the face. But I asked him that question, why aren't more people asking me for advice? I mean, I know so much. Uh, and here's what my friend said. He said, I think when you talk to people, they can tell that you're just waiting to pounce on them with your answer. You're just waiting to fix their problem. I don't think anybody thinks you care about them. What's really embarrassing is that he, he was right. The only reason I was telling people I wanted to be a pastor, the only reason I wanted anyone to come to me was because that conversation is about me fixing your life. That conversation is about, is about you walking away saying, Chandler's awesome. Hey, everybody, if you have a question, take it to him. That's what I wanted. And of course it doesn't work. Uh, if, if you start with jealousy and selfish ambition, the irony is that you don't get what you set out for. All of the uh, hope of me becoming an awesome person that other people view really highly, the hope of me becoming the person who everybody wants to ask their questions to, totally backfired. I didn't get what I set out for. In the same way, those people who are uh, giving unsolicited marriage advice in a Macy's, th those bits of wisdom don't come from people who whistle on their way home from work, excited to be with their spouse, do they? James says, if you start with jealousy and selfish ambition, you end with disorder. You get chaos. That's what you get. So what about wisdom from above? What's the alternative What's the wisdom from above like? Verse 17, look there. It says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. Now, if earthly wisdom comes from earth, comes from you and I, wisdom from above comes from above. That's at least the first thing to note. Uh, and because wisdom from above comes from, abo from above, it sounds like it comes from above when you encounter it. Uh, to offer an example of, of something contrasting the advice uh, from the people at Macy's, nice people at Macy's, by the way, but um, one of the bits of advice that, uh, that I was given before we got married uh, was from an older man who I was talking to, uh, again, very selfishly. I was saying to him, hey, I just assume I'm marrying you know, a sinful person. So what do I do when my spouse disappoints me? 
And how do I know if there's sort of a line that she crossed where I need to like bring somebody else in to sort of get her straight? I mean, again, just reeks with selfishness, right? Uh, but when I asked him this question, here's what that man said to me. He said, Jesus took the blame for things he didn't do wrong. And he's your example. That's a hard sentence to hear. It's certainly hard to put into practice in marriage. But it sounds otherworldly. It's counterintuitive. That's what wisdom from above will sound like. It would be challenging. It would be hard. Uh, but the fruit of it is the opposite of chaos. The fruit of it is order and steadiness. Where earthly wisdom starts with love from me, wisdom from above starts with love for others. It's all about other people. Uh, there was a man who uh, I knew in Augusta where my wife and I used to live, where I was serving at a church there. and We'd asked him to lead a small group of young men. And there was just so much going on and I was so bad at keeping tabs on what was happening that I actually forgot that this man was leading this small group of high school students. And one day I ran into him uh, after church and I said, uh, hey, it just dawned on me, we asked you to lead that small group. It's totally cool if you never reached out to those guys and you never connected with them. Um, but I was just, just curious, what ended up happening with that? And he said, oh yeah, they come over to my house every Wednesday morning at 6.30 a.m. and we talk about the Bible, it's wonderful. And they keep coming back, they love it, I get donuts and we have a great time. And I was like, whoa, I mean, that's amazing. We, I, I gave you zero support and I can't believe that you did that. Um, and I said, well, you know, how's it going? Tell me more. He said, you know, when I meet with these guys, I just think about them 20 or 30 years from now being pillars in their community. And the kind of people who, when there's a crisis in the community, everybody goes to their house. They go to them for help. Now, one of the elements of what he's talking about uh, is he, in leading that small group, he's focused on those boys. He's showing love for those boys. He could have said, yeah, I, you know, I called those guys and we're meeting up and I'm just so excited that I get to have an impact on the next generation. That's not what he said. He said, I'm just so excited about what they're gonna be when they grow up. Um, that's wisdom from above that starts from a place of love for other people. It's one of the ways we know wisdom from above. Uh, all these words that describe wisdom from above require other people to be carried out. Words like peaceable, Wisdom from above is peaceable, it's gentle, it's open to reason, it's full of mercy. All those things require another person. For that to be true of any interaction, there have to be two people involved, at least. Uh, so where is this mainly gonna play out? Where is wisdom, either earthly or wisdom from above, where is it mainly gonna play out? It's mainly gonna play out in our interactions with other people, in relationships. That's where it lives. I want you to think for a second about your least favorite tension in the world right now, or the, your least favorite tension in your own life. And it may be something globally or political or uh, financial or something in your own home, but your least favorite tension, the thing that just uh, makes you the most frustrated. Like, why don't people understand? Uh, think about that tension. And then I'd like to, you to imagine a world where you could escape for 30 minutes and you could talk to a person uh, who wants to talk to you about anything, uh, is genuinely open-minded, 
They are committed to uh, you being a healthy person and you being okay. Uh, they will not abandon your relationship no matter what you say. They will not think differently of you no matter what they say. They will not argue with you. They'll genuinely listen. Uh, they are willing to be brutally honest with you. Wouldn't you just love to go to that world for 30 minutes? And you know, I think if we're honest, we'd love to be that kind of person too. Uh, we'd love to be the kind of person who somebody could talk to about anything. A person who's like that, a person who's like this wisdom from above is a person you can actually talk to about anything. I mean, money, politics, how to be a parent, uh, the things that you're embarrassed to talk about. You could talk to a person like wisdom from above about any of these things. So maybe the question is, okay, well, how can I be like that? I want to be like that. I'd love to be in a community of people who are like that. So how, how can I be like that? In chapter 1, James said, uh, the very beginning of the book of James, he said, if anybody lacks wisdom, ask God. He gives generously to anyone who asks without reproach, and God will give you wisdom. So you can ask God for this wisdom. I mean, you can, tomorrow, you can wake up and ask God to give you wisdom from above, and he loves to give it. Maybe you say, okay, I'll do that tomorrow morning, but like, what do I do when I interact with my coworker? Or what do I do when I interact with my child who frustrates me? Or what do I do with that relative who's hard to talk to? I mean, what, what do I do? James is gonna give us a little starting place, uh, a, a little foothold, if you will, so, uh, maybe something to think about when we're interacting with somebody. Look at verse 18. He says, a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. If I could put that into a, uh, maybe different words, I'd say in that interaction tomorrow, what James would say to you is if you'd like to put on this wisdom from above, what you should do is make peace the priority in that conversation. Make peace the priority in that interaction. You being at peace with them, them being at peace with God, them being at peace with the world. He says that's where you should start. Uh, you should be sowing peace in the world, be a peacemaker in the world. And he says you get a harvest of righteousness. You know, James is like a walking thesaurus. He uses a bunch of different words to describe the same few things. So here he's throwing all these words about wisdom from above, and maybe you go, gosh, that's just too much for me to hold in my head or to think about while I'm talking to someone. And so he boils it down in this last verse to say, okay, sow peace in your conversations. Sow peace in your relationships. If you grew up in, uh, in church or around the Bible, things like that, you, you're familiar with the Beatitudes. This is from the Sermon on the Mount, these teachings of Jesus that are wildly popular. Uh, and James has all these echoes of his earthly brother, Jesus. And this is one of them. When he says, you should, you should make peace. One of the Beatitudes was Jesus saying, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. So James is echoing his brother by saying, make peace. Make peace the priority in your, in your interactions. And the ultimate example of wisdom from above, we could put it this way, the ultimate example of someone who was committed to peace in his interactions was, of course, Jesus. You knew we were headed uh, here. 
Jesus is the greatest example of wisdom from above. He is one who we can look at all of his interactions, all the things that he did, all the things that he said, and you can see he lines up perfectly with the description of wisdom from above. He's pure, of course, never did anything wrong. He's peaceable, he's committed to peace, he loves peace. He's gentle, he's open to reason, he genuinely listens to people and their stories, and he's full of mercy. That's what Jesus is. Uh, Well, here's the good news for us. Jesus is not just an example. It's not as though Jesus is just like a baseball card of wisdom from above for you to put on your mirror and try to become more like. You should do that, by the way. I didn't know this until recently, but there was controversy, there is maybe still controversy over WWJD bracelets, the What Would Jesus Do bracelets. There's a youth group, I think, in Michigan that started those. It was just, you know, one of those zany ideas from a youth group. And here it is, taking over the world. Uh, but people put on those bracelets and almost immediately there was uh, a group of people who said, whoa, 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 whoa. We don't know what Jesus would do in any situation. And maybe they have a point to an extent. I mean, we, don't, we, don't, we certainly don't have all the resources that Jesus uh, has and we can't emulate everything that he did. Uh, but that doesn't mean we should throw out the question entirely. It doesn't mean that we should throw out the idea of us looking at this wisdom from above who is Jesus and saying, you know, I, I really would like to be more like him. Uh, but you can't manufacture it. It's wisdom from above. It's not wisdom from you. But if you trust Christ, then Jesus says, I live inside you. I live inside you. Uh, And if you trust Christ, then you are in Christ also. That's just a picture of you being inside him, him being inside you, you being united to Jesus. And that means that you have his resources uh, when, we're talking about marriage a lot, when my wife now, Allison and I were in premarital counseling, uh, one of the things that the pastor who has taken us through premarital counseling said to us is he said, when Jesus died on the cross for you, you gotta imagine there's this bank account and in that bank account is all of Jesus's kindness, all of Jesus's patience, all of Jesus's forgiveness, all of his mercy, all of his grace, And when Jesus died on the cross for you, he took a book of blank checks with access to that account and he handed them to you. He said, you gotta learn to write checks out of Jesus' bank account and not your bank account. So no, uh, we can't manufacture wisdom from above. But in the same way that God looked at you and I and decided to give his only son for us, Uh, He is bent toward giving that wisdom from above to those who ask for it. So you can ask him for it today, tomorrow, and forever. Uh, Let's pray and do that now. Our Father, uh, we want to change, Lord. We want to be loving. We want to be peacemakers. We even want to be like your son, Jesus. We can't change ourselves, so... God, we ask that you would change us. Would you give us this wisdom from above? Would you make us people who are full of this wisdom from above? And God, would you use us up for the sake of your name in this body and in this city and in our world? We pray in Jesus' name, amen.